Welcome to the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan, and on this podcast, I will be speaking to inspirational individuals who specialize in the field of physical and mental health to offer you the tools that you need to become a stronger, healthier, and more confident man in today's world. Hello and welcome to episode number 67 of the Modern Warrior podcast. Today, I have the man, the legend that is Michael Loria with me on the podcast. And Michael is the founder of Forging Excalibur, where he creates or helps create knights from men. Very interested to know more about that. Uh, And Michael's own personal journey began at the time when his first marriage fell apart. And he himself went through the difficult journey of divorce, financial struggles, separation from his children for an extended period of time. And of course, all the other pressures and emotional challenges that accompany separation involving children. And then as the years progressed and after near suicide attempt, he received the emotional impact he needed to choose to empower himself by learning how to build higher levels of self-awareness. This experience, while hard, birthed his passion, purpose, and quest. He now makes it his quest to help others through similar life challenges to ultimately lead men toward a purposeful and meaningful future. And Michael, and perhaps what attracted me to Michael, is he's developed a very unique method of coaching and his own unique sort of philosophy around his coaching. And over the last 10 years, he has incorporated a fusion of talk, centered therapy, person-centered coaching, and helping to uncover the layers of the subconscious mind responsible for, of course, our beliefs and values. He has spent many years passionately studying the principles surrounding neuroscience, neuroplasticity, and the deep connections between the body, mind, and spirit. And this research underpins his philosophy and guiding principles, which help to create an environment of growth, learning, and awareness. Fucking love it. Michael, how are you, my man? (laughs) Awesome, Gavin. How are you, man? Thanks for having me. I'm very good. I'm very good. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to to speak to me today. I know you've got a very busy schedule. You're you're a man in demand, and um, rightly so. And... As I said, I've come across, I think you came across your TikTok first and your message struck me. And uh, then I went and checked out on Instagram. And of course, a lot more content there and subjects and content that's very relatable to myself as a man. And of course, to many other men who are going through difficulties or struggles or just have underlying questions in terms of who they are and why they're here on, on this earth and um, you know, seeking a purpose and a mission in life. So you yourself have have been in a position where you perhaps needed that those guiding principles, you needed um, some mentoring, some coaching, some leadership to help you get beyond your personal difficulties. And can you maybe speak to us about some of your lowest moments or lowest points? I know the perhaps the divorce and the separation from your children was perhaps one of the uh, defining moments of your life. Can you speak to us about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were probably quite a, quite a few defining moments in my life, but the one that you're talking about, and I wouldn't even say it was the separation or the divorce that was that really um, was the most impactful thing because I had felt that coming for quite a period of time and and I knew that at some point in the near future we were going to separate. So, you know, that wasn't, I guess that wasn't the most imp- emotionally impactful time of my life, but what was is what happened after that. So, you know, there was the divorce and the, well, the separation happened and then the subsequent years leading up to my almost suicide attempt, and, when, and I'll, I'll share with you what an almost suicide attempt is, but, but, the, but the two or three years leading up to that were full of family court problems, child support issues, um, you know, long periods of separation from my children, not being able to see my children properly, and depression and anxiety and I ended up on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. I was I was abusing alcohol for a period of time as well. Financial struggle, like put it all in there. And that's what was happening for me at that period of time. It was a mess. And 
I remember more specifically one Friday I received an eviction notice in the mail. So I was, I was unemployed at the time and I was so behind in my rent on my, the, the, the house that I was leasing that I, I couldn't catch up and I got an eviction notice. And so at the same period of time, I'd lost my job. I declared bankruptcy the week before I, I lost my job. I got an eviction notice in the mail. I had no money. I'd been drinking for a week and a half, two weeks. Hadn't seen my children for a period of time. Child support was on my back. Family court was always there. There was It was just building and compounding, you know, one thing on top of the other. And then one Sunday morning, I, you know, I won't even say I woke up because I'd been awake all night crying and drinking and all sorts of things, you know. And I was on the edge of my bed on a Sunday morning and I literally had half a glass of, uh, half a bottle of wine in one hand and antidepressants and sleeping pills in the other. And I was just about to take my own life because I'd really gotten to a point where it was like, what, what is there in life anymore? You know, what is there to reach for? What is there to hope for? And I don't see anything on the horizon that feels like it's going to be anything different from what I'm experiencing now. And so it's like, what's the point? And so I was going to take my own life. And then I was about to do that. And then my phone flashed and I glanced over and there was a text message from my son who was 13 or 14 at the time. And he said, and the text message said, dad, we love you and we can't wait to see you again. And we miss you. And, you know, talk about an emotionally impactful event, you know, at the most like divine timing, divine timing, another few seconds. And I would have downed the wine and the pills and there would have been, you know, it was a matter of minutes after that, you know, maybe half an hour I would have been dead. So that text message really, you know, how have you ever been drunk? I'm sure you've been drunk. We've all been drunk. Have you ever been drunk and something real, something happens, such a shock that it sobers you up just like that. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, That's what happened. That's what happened in that moment. So I sobered up straight away and it's like, I looked in the mirror at who I'd become and I realized that this was the shadow of a man that I thought that I would become. And I'd never imagined that my life would turn out this way. And I also realized in that moment that one day I would see my children again. And this is what they would be presented with this man that I had become this alcoholic, you know, this alcoholic, unemployed, bankrupt, single man with no hope or felt like he had no hope. And so it's like, that was enough. I looked around my house and I did the first thing what Jordan Peterson says and cleaned my room, made my bed, cleaned my room. And then went on to the rest of the house and then put my life back together. You know, I got a job. I, I just put myself back together over the next three to six months. I even went into the real estate agent and I, the, the next Monday morning, like that next morning, and I explained to the, to the agent everything that had been happening in my life. And she was really, really, like really sympathetic and empathetic. And she called the landlord and the landlord came in to the office and he, and he gave me a hug. It was the, I still remember this moment. He gave me a hug and he said, Michael, I've been there. I get it. And he said, I'll give you six months to get yourself back together, catch up with rent. I won't evict you from your property. He said, I wish I had have known. I could have been a lot more understanding and compassionate. So, wow. you know, that was, that was a gift from God, you know? And so the next six months was spent putting myself back together, you know, presenting myself well at family court, getting a job, um, off the alcohol, off the cigarettes, because I was smoking as well, and really getting back up on my feet, catching up on my rent, and even being in, in, ahead in rent as well, um, and just putting my life and myself back together again. And so it's amazing what happens when you do that process from the inside out, and you stop laying blame and finding fault, and you actually just take responsibility for yourself. It's very empowering because you realize you actually have a lot more untapped potential within you than what you believe you do. And I, that was my first, I suppose that was my first experience of realizing potential within me when previously I had believed that there was no hope and I was useless. And so the next six months after that, we're about putting myself back together. And how did it end up then with the, with the children? And so because of, because of who I chose to become over those six months, um, I, I fronted up to family court and I was able to see my children again. There were, there were conditions around some of it. Um, and that lasted for quite a few months after that, but still I was able to see my children and that eventually evolved into more regular contact, which was, 
which was good. It was a good outcome. But you know what? Um, I've spoken on many, many other podcasts about this experience and and sometimes a message comes across that in some way I I blame my ex-wife 100% for the for the experience of not seeing my children for extended periods of time. But that was a co-created experience. You know, I was behaving just as badly and I was not managing myself very well at all. I was unregulated in my emotional expression. I was not able to control my own internal state because I simply didn't have the tools to do so. And there was so much pressure on my shoulders all the time. It was ongoing and compounding. And eventually you just implode. Mm -hmm. Eventually you just implode, you know, because there's only so much a man can take. So good news after that is that after I started seeing my kids and life started to get back to normal again, I thought, you know what, there's an opportunity here for other men to perhaps not have to sink to the depths that I did if I can maybe help them. And so that was when I went out and got my diploma of counselling and I studied to be a counsellor. Um, this was a long time ago now. And, and I started facilitating men's groups, discussion groups, and one-on-one counselling for men. After I'd finished my diploma, I then did some further study into alcohol and drugs and how that affects psychology and how people descend into that because I did the same thing. It was pharmaceutical drugs, but it was drugs nonetheless and also alcohol. Alcohol. Uh, and that evolved over time, man. Then I studied, I became a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, and then I studied neuroscience and, um, and it's all just evolved into what I'm doing now with forging Excalibur. So happy to dig into bits of all of that over the years, but that was the catalyst for what I'm doing now. Incredible journey, man. And, and it's, uh, yeah, it's amazing how we can evolve from the, from the rubble. You know, I've been there before, maybe not to the extreme where you were at in terms of attempting suicide or um you know on antidepressants but i've certainly been in the pit maybe once or twice ultimately but yeah everyone has their version of their pit yeah it, you know my, my pit might be different to yours but it feels the same yeah that's true yeah yeah, yeah. trauma there, there's um yeah trauma's trauma isn't it you don't have to sort of categorize it in terms of all oh, my trauma's yeah. bigger than yours or <laughs> no way yeah no way yeah, yeah. It's still a still a very difficult feeling, a very difficult place to be in. It's and it's subjective, of course. And but as I said, it's it's incredible how you can. That's you've got a choice at that moment, haven't you? When you're in the bottom of the pit, in terms of okay, do I stay here? Do I just accept that this is my life now and um, cease to change, or do I start to climb back out of this pit one one step at a time? And I, I think a big thing that uh, a lot of guys do struggle with, and maybe yourself as well, and certainly me is actually reaching out for help or actually telling people the truth as to how you're doing. Because as you just mentioned there about your experience with the, with the landlord, you know, once you told him the truth in terms of what was going on in your life, he was very supportive. And Mm. before that, maybe there was the underlying fear of, Oh, I can't tell him what's going on. Or I I, I can't, you know, I can't let people know that I'm, I'm broken. I'm depressed that I'm, that I have no money. Um, so I think that's something that holds a lot of men back and that's most likely down to their own pride or ego, or is there more yeah, there? Look, there, 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 are, there are definitely, there's definitely pride ego um, associated with the fact that men don't easily reach out for help. But in the context of the experience that I was having around separation, divorce with children, there are other factors involved too, that a lot of people don't actually know about. And that is that, you know, the family court system is probably the only branch of the legal system around the world that doesn't have the presumption of innocence. It has the presumption of guilt, especially for fathers. And so, you know, when, when, uh, when a father, when, when a, a mother and father front up to family court, the presumption is automatic that the mother is the more fit parent and the father must substantiate that he can look after his children. Okay. And so the burden of proof always lies on the father's shoulders to prove that he is mentally stable, that he has a a mentally and emotionally stable, that he has the financial resources to support himself and his children, and that he has a good home where the children can actually be when they're with him, right? The mother doesn't have to substantiate any of that. It's just taken as gospel that she's the more equipped parent and we, we just take it for granted that she's got everything that the children need. And so men, men start that process on the back foot. They start off the process disadvantaged because the burden of proof is on their shoulders and the assumption or the presumption of guilt is that 
you know, men are not equipped to be parents. Men are not as good parents as women and as mothers and, and that they have to somehow substantiate and prove that they can be a good parent, you know? So it doesn't start off well for men at all in the context of divorce when there are children involved. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many different layers to all of this for a man going through that because it's almost like he's treated as an unfit parent from the, from the outset and he has to prove that he's not. It's very, it's very difficult to prove a negative. That's true. You know? yeah. yeah. Very difficult to prove a negative. Like how do you prove that you are not an unfit father? You know, you, you feel you, that, that that's, that's something that holds a lot of men back in terms of actually pursuing what the, a breakup or divorce, because they know they're going to be in a disadvantaged position if they do so as well. Yeah. Because the family court system is always skewed in favor of the mother. And the and and you know because the assumption is that the mother is the better parent or the more fit parent, then what happens is that the mother has the children usually seventy percent or more of the time, and so then the, the burden of child support is on the father. And then when he wishes to have more time with his children, he has to actually go to family court and petition family court and be awarded more time with his children. Right. So. And I'm not being a victim here, but what I'm saying is that that's the experience that all men have. That's the experience I had. That's the experience that all men have if their partner doesn't come to a mutually acceptable solution with him around, you know, access to the children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff at the moment around the world in family court petitioning for, you know, the family court system to make 50-50 shared care the standard, you know, and if it needs to be less than that, then the person that wants it to be less than that has to substantiate why, you know? And there are other things in the family court system as well. You can have agreements and you can have arrangements and parenting agreements and all sorts of different things around custody with children. And if somebody breaks the, or breaches the agreement, there are no consequences. And so there's a lot on men's shoulders in that, in that mm-hmm. environment. There really is. And when you look, look back at your own experience, like as you said there earlier, you knew that the divorce was going to come or the separation was come, going to come eventually, but you, you hung, hung in there. And whilst you were hanging in, were you trying to work on the relationship? You know, did you seek out counselling or did you try and communicate in a better level or to address mm. the issues within the relationship? Or was it too far gone at, at, at a certain point that there was no turning back? Or So the interesting part about that was is that back then I didn't have any level of self-awareness at all, really. And neither did my wife at the time, I would say. And, and so we didn't know what we were doing. We got together when we were 20, 21, you know, and we got married when we were 20, 21. And then our first child was born 12 months later. And so we, we were thrust, we thrust ourselves into this, into this responsibility of marriage and, and parenthood when we were still very young ourselves. And so we never really communicated well, you know, and, and when I say that, I, I look at that experience and I reflect on that experience based on who I am now. And so, which is not fair to compare yourself back then to who you have become now. It's not fair, right? Because we go through a process of evolution in our lives. But I will say that relatively speaking, I was incredibly unaware, didn't know how to communicate very well at all. And so when things started to degrade, we didn't see the signs and we didn't recognize that they were even there because you know, you condition, I grew up in a Catholic church and you kind of condition and it's like, once you get married and have kids, that's it, just figure it out and you have to just stay and that's the obligation and that's the responsibility. And so I would say that at least half of the time that we were together, so we were together for 12 years and half, at least half of that time, I didn't want to be there. And it was the second half. So we'd had, so we'd had, um, you know, two children by then and it was very much second half of that relationship that I didn't want to be there, but I stayed obligation responsibility. That's what we do as men, isn't it? Right. So when we're not, when we're not in the space of knowing how the mind works and understanding what it is that we want and what we truly value and having some kind of meaning and purpose in life, et cetera, et cetera, we just do what's expected of us. Mm. And we do that from a place of responsibility, um, which is a good thing. But when you're, taking responsibility for doing things from a place of obligation, that's not good. Yeah. As you say, you, we do what's expected of us, but often those expectations aren't our own. It, it's based on yeah. religion, based on society, based on our own yep. parents, our own Ex- upbringing. Expectations. 
Mm. Yeah. Expectations from others as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's something I feel a lot of men get caught in. Like I've, again, here in Ireland, like it's, it's, it's mostly uh, the Catholic church that, that rules the land. <laughs> and uh, I, I was brought up in, uh, as a Catholic as well. And to be honest, man, like I've got a very big family in terms of aunties and uncles and, and cousins and none of them, none of them have broken up. <clears throat> none of them have separated. None of them have gone through divorce. And are they, are they happy? Do you think when you look at the ratio, I mean, we're talking about potentially 30 couples there within that family, you know, I, I don't know, <laughs> but I yeah. don't think they have well, to. well, you don't, you don't know if they're happy, but when we look at divorce rates, it's, it's likely that, you know, half of them are probably, um, if not, if not on the brink of divorce, they might be unhappy and unable to resolve their, their differences, mm-hmm. you know, and they might be just hanging in there out of obligation and, and the fact that, you know, marriage is yeah. a place of sanctity. You still, know? Uh, yeah. Still gripped by the, the, the Catholic dogma. Yeah. It's, yep. it's still, it's still underlying there. Like I do f- feel a lot more optimistic for the next generation, you know, cause a lot of people are sort of moving away from Catholicism. Now, again, whatever, there's some good in Catholicism maybe, but for me, um, the, the ratio is, is more towards the disadvantages and the, uh, the negativity of the church more so than the positives. So, um, yep. a lot of fear, I agree. a lot of guilt, you know, a lot of it's very narrow minded and yep. uh, most likely yourself as much as me. I didn't even know, I didn't even know there was other religions, uh, growing up. I knew there was Protestants because they were like, they were like the enemy, <laughs> At and, war. but it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like grew up in Ireland, the, the, yeah. uh, Northern Ireland, the, uh, the the war that was going on there, going on in there, and uh, obviously the Protestants were the enemy, and uh, but that's all I knew, and th- th- there's no space for discussion in terms of other religions, other gods, other forms of belief. For now, as I said, I'm I've got my own kids as well, and I, I encourage them just to have a bit more of an open mind when it comes to their belief system, because again, Catholicism is still very real in the national schools and secondary schools. It's it's still. Mm still beneath the surface there but um i'm somewhat encouraging my daughter especially she's a little bit older she's 11 to maybe just question some of those beliefs so she can make up her own assumptions and her own mind about it so again a luxury that we weren't presented with as as children and obviously we sort of fit into this belief system of oh okay we've got to get married have kids and divorce is bad divorce is evil Mm. yeah is it though you know, is it the staying in a, in a marriage that's unhappy and therefore creating an unhappy environment for your children? Isn't that more wrong or more bad or more evil for, for their sake and even for your own sake? So, you know, you deserve better. But as I said, there's um, the underlying, of course, it's an underlying fear of if you, if you break up or divorce that, you know, you're going to be somewhat frowned upon by society. You know, that there's still a lot of fear when it comes to taking that leap and the reason i'm speaking about this because i know a lot of men i speak with and perhaps yourself work with are in relationships that they shouldn't fucking be in you've got to get out of there but they're still there you know what you know what i mean i've worked with a lot of men over the years i've been doing this for 17 years now and close to 17 years and i've worked with thousands of men and i've also done relationship coaching for about 10 years relationships and one of the things that i find is usually the catalyst for a man to do work on himself is one of two things. Either he, something happens in the relationship and his wife or partner says, you need to sort yourself out or we're finished. And then that's, that's, that's a good catalyst. That's a good motivation for a man. Right. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is that when men reach a certain age and it's usually mid thirties into late thirties, approaching 40, he will sometimes look at his life and reflect on his life and realize that half of his life has disappeared and he doesn't have a lot to show for it. He might have a marriage and kids and all of that, but for him, fundamentally for him, he doesn't know actually who he is and he doesn't seem like, he doesn't feel like he has a sense of meaning and purpose in life. And he feels like I've I've had a lot of men say, I just feel like I'm a walking wallet. You know, I'm here to, I'm here to work and provide for my children and my family. But beside that, there's nothing of me. You know, it's literally, I get up in the morning, go to work, do the job that I hate, come home to screaming children and an ungrateful wife. This is what I hear, you know, from men. 
And, and, and then I do it all the next day and there's so much expectation on me, but nobody understands the pressures and responsibilities on my shoulders, right? And eventually what happens is he suffers from a, you know, a crisis of purpose. Eventually he wakes up one morning and he pays attention to the dull ache within him, the dull ache of, I don't have meaning to my life. There's no purpose to this. What the hell am I doing? And a man in that place will do one of two things. He'll either throw in the towel, which is what I did, right? Throw in the towel and wake up one morning, have an epiphany and go, this is not where I want to be anymore. And that's what I did. Or if he has some semblance of self-awareness or he's able to observe himself and, and what's actually happening under the surface, which not a lot of people can do unless they've done some level of personal development work on themselves, then he can make a better decision in most cases and communicate with his partner and say, hey, I'm, this is how I'm feeling. And I really want to go and pursue something. I want to figure out what my purpose is for life. Why am I here? I want something for me. I want to start learning who I am as a man. And maybe then I'll be a better husband for you and a better father for our children. Is that okay with you? And you know what? Most women would say, yes, go do it. You know, be better for us because we've been dealing with this for years. So like put yourself back together. But a lot of men don't want to actually do that because, you know, society tells us that that's weak. It's feminine and men shouldn't be vulnerable or be courageous and share how they truly feel, you know? So, you know, I chose the former because I didn't know any better. Most men choose the former because they don't know any better. But when you do know better, um, and, I, and I'm a big advocate of the fact that there's actually no excuse these days not to know better mm -hmm. because we have access to more information these days than ever before, you know, but not a lot of people actually try to find it. Yeah. So, you know, you can watch personal development videos and videos of people talking wisdom for hours, days on end on YouTube or anywhere else, right? And you can probably put your life together just with free stuff on YouTube, but people actually don't do that. Yeah. Most men wait until they get to the pit, right? Before they realize, oh, well, maybe I need to do something here. And it doesn't have to get that bad. Mm -hmm. But there's so much opportunity and so much information out there too. But there's also a lot of opportunity for <clears throat> distraction, a lot of opportunity for uh, paying attention to something else outside of yourself instead of paying attention to what's going on within. So like for me, like the one thing that I encourage a lot of men to do, nearly every man to do is to cultivate a bit of time of peace and solitude in his life every mm -hmm. single day where he's just spending time on his own. And he's just uh, beginning to pay attention to the thoughts and the feelings and emotions that come up in that period, because I believe that that's where the answers lie. But again, this is a very difficult process for, for men to go to, to sit alone in silence, distraction free for five minutes could be extremely uncomfortable for a lot of men. It but is. It that, is for most men. Yeah. That in itself is a massive red flag to say, okay, you know, this is, you need to do more of this if it's so difficult for you. So again as much as there's so many opportunities for information and so so many opportunities and so much out there you know for uh to, to learn more about yourself there is also a massive amount of distra distraction like you've got the phone in your pocket you know 24 hours a day ultimately or your, your waking hours of the day and as long as you have that thing like you're paying attention to something else outside of you but the answers lie within so how do you sort of navigate that or what's your sort of process when it comes to taking the first step towards self-awareness for a man? So fundamentally what we need to learn and what men need to learn are the foundations of what we might call personal development and the basic models of psychology, how the mind works, how, how beliefs are formed, you know, the relationship between the conscious and the subconscious mind, these real simple personal development 101 things you know, they can transform a man's life. They really can. Because we're not taught Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're not taught the drama triangle. We're not taught the, about the relationship between the conscious and the subconscious mind. We're not taught about emotional regulation and how to actually control your thoughts and what you choose to focus on, right? We're actually not taught these fundamental things as we're growing up because school doesn't teach us that because school is pointless. It's just for pumping out robots, to serve society, right? Um, so, oh, sorry, really just to serve government. That's what school is for. And parents don't often know any better because they haven't done the work on themselves. 
right? Generally speaking. And so we don't, our children don't have access to basic fundamentals of personal development and how their minds actually operate, you know? And when people start to understand these basic things, we have this program in Forging Excalibur and it's it's only $97, right? 97 US dollars. So it's nothing accessible for everybody. It's called the initiation. It's literally a 21 day program. And if a man does this 21 day program properly, and there's training videos in amongst all of that as well, he will understand everything that he needs to understand about himself to realize and become aware of where he is in life and who he has become. Right. And once you understand how his mind operates. So once you understand these three fundamental things, you can then make better decisions about where, which direction you want to take, right? And of course, there's more beyond the initiation, but even just that mm-hmm. gives a man the tools to understand fundamentally who he is and about taking responsibility and learning about emotional regulation, these basic things, understanding about the drama triangle that we're always cre- we're always in a drama triangle within us because we're either a victim or a persecutor or a rescuer. And we are in that same drama triangle most of the time with other people when we're in conflict with them or when there's some kind of an ego struggle with someone else or a power struggle. And so when we can understand basic psychological models like this and what it means to step out of the drama triangle and be the observer of yourself in the experience of what's happening right now. So that's an internal reflective thing. When you, when you start to learn this stuff, well, when you become aware of this stuff, you can't become unaware of it. And so they're powerful tools for men to, to learn in order to begin the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you actually brought back up the, brought back the uh, drama triangle because I was, I was going to ask you about the drama triangles. I never, I never heard of that one before, but that's uh, yeah. quite interesting, yeah. Yeah, um, somebody Cartman, or Cart, Cartman, I think it is, or Cartman. Anyway, if you if you Google the drama triangle, you'll see. Not Eric Cartman. Yeah, that's him. No, 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 not (laughs) (laughs) not him (laughs) from South Park. No, not that one. Different, different Cartman. Yeah. So, so, uh, so yeah, if you Google that, you'll actually see a graphical representation of this really popular psychological model called the drama triangle. Mm -hmm. And you can always see, like, you just think about a relationship, right? A relationship. You've got one person who's angry about something right, in a relationship. And it's like they become the persecutor. And the persecutor is, I'm blaming you for how I feel. And then another person, the other person becomes a victim. Oh, here we go again. The same, here's that old chestnut again, right? And I'm supposed to feel a certain way about that and do a certain thing. And then I become the victim, right? And then what do you reckon happens? Then what happens is the persecutor ends up going, oh, I'm so sorry for, when there's a big argument and the persecutor goes, I'm so sorry for treating you that way. I love you. I'll do anything. So they step into rescuer, right? Rescuer. And then what happens? Then the, then the victim turns into the persecutor because, and the persecutor then becomes the one who moves out of victim into persecutor and says, how dare you treat me that way? That is not cool. And I'm going to punish you now with the silent treatment for the next, for the rest of the day. And the rescuer goes, please, please, please. I'll do anything. Just don't be silent. Don't give me the silent treatment. So when we can step out of that and realize where we might be in that drama triangle, that's a really simple example. When we step out of that and we become the observer, we can say, oh, wow, I'm not actually behaving very well at the moment. I'm being a victim, first of all. Don't need to be a victim because there's something that he or she is bringing to me. It's important for him or her, right? And then it's like, how can I, how can I look inwards and resolve this? Mm-hmm. And so rather than becoming a victim, you can step out of the drama triangle, triangle, be an observer, observe yourself in victim, observe the other person in persecutor. You go, you know what? I get it. I understand. When you've calmed down a little bit, let's talk. Yeah. How many marriages are based on that dynamic right now? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So many. Everybody's, everybody's mostly stuck in a drama triangle. And, and they also have one within themselves. We also have a drama triangle within ourselves. So you think about all of the negative thoughts that a lot of people think about themselves, right? They've become the victim. Oh, here we go again. I'm not good enough. I'm such an idiot. You know, Mm -hmm. here I am making that same stupid mistake again, victim, right? And then what do we do? You idiot. We become the persecutor of ourselves. You idiot. You've done it again. You keep on doing the same shit over and over again. You're useless. You're worthless. What's the point, right? 
And then we start to feel guilty about feeling that way about ourselves. And we step into rescuer and we go, oh, it's really been hard, hasn't it? Yeah, so we'll just do what we need to do for now, look after ourselves and hopefully things will get better. <laughs> and so we have this drama triangle within us as well. And so to become the observer of that is to observe the fact that things are not going well and we probably created it. And, yeah. you know, let's just ride the storm for now and see where it gets us and maybe we can make better decisions in the future mm-hmm. rather than berate ourselves. And, and is, that, is that an opportunity to ask deeper questions of yourself in terms of why you're caught in that triangle within yourself in terms of especially the self-criticism understanding that that self-critic that self-critic has been embedded there from your very early relationships from teachers or parents in the past is that an opportunity to to dig deep into that or is it a matter of just coming up with a different strategy to move forward from that point well there's, there's both of those choices are equally relevant and valid right so so you can definitely make different choices if you want to Um, But I would say that the first one is more true. It is an opportunity to look more deeply within, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and understand where is this coming from? And can I recognize these same patterns of behavior in what I witnessed in my father, you know, growing up or my mother growing up, or maybe one of the other major influences in my life at the time. Um, Can I draw a distinction between the two? Is there a, is there a thread that's there, right? Am I, do I find myself talking and behaving like my father? Most men can probably recognize that in themselves, talking and behaving and fathering the way that they were fathered, mm-hmm. you know, until they become conscious of what they're unconsciously doing and then consciously change to something else that's more serving of who they want to become. Yeah, because your parents' pain can become your pain, which then becomes your children's pain. So that that's a- Yeah, well, it's generational trauma, right? So that's a thing. It's generational trauma. So same values and beliefs get passed down from generation to generation until somebody does the work that we're talking about and breaks those generational patterns. And so, you know, in my family, that's been me. And, and that's not an ego thing. That's just like, I think that I uh, was born in a time where we became more self-aware as, and people would argue this, right? I would say that in ancient times, ancient civilizations were probably more aware of our capabilities and potentials as and potential as individuals than what we are now. When we started to move into the modern age, I think we lost a lot of who we have the potential to be and we relied too much on technology and, uh, and money and power and then forgot who we truly are and our potential. And I think we're beginning to realize it now. And I think, you know, I was born in 1974. So I think my generation is probably the first ones to have access to this kind of knowledge freely and available because we had the internet and the internet came about when I was in my mid twenties, I would say. So still young enough to be able to use technology and understand how to use it and evolve with it, which is good. And, and so that gave us the opportunity in my age group to be able to have knowledge and wisdom that perhaps our parents didn't have or have access to, because, you know, back in their day, you had to actually go to the library right? And the only personal development book that probably was there was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill back then. Maybe something, maybe something that, um, the Bible, that, uh, sorry, the Bible. Yeah. The Bible was the first personal development book ever, but maybe they, maybe they would have found something from Jack Canfield. You know, I interviewed him on my hundredth episode for my podcast and he was a really, really good interview. You know, that was a good interview. And, and Jack Canfield was probably one of the first people in the seventies to actually start along with Tony Robbins, I would say, start releasing um, personal development stuff out there to the world. Prior to that, more likely it was just Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which is a magnificent book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how have you, how is the relationship with your, with your children now? I believe your children are most likely adults at this point, are they? And have you, yes. I mean, you have gone through a process where um, obviously you're in a, a difficult relationship, a difficult marriage and going through divorce and going through separation. And obviously this has had an impact on your, on your children, I'd imagine. And what's your, like, have you been, I'm sure there's a process there where you're having to heal yourself to therefore heal your children or to um, address your children's wounds or to encourage them to do the same. Or what's, what's that process been like for you and, and for your, for your children over the last few years? So- 
Yeah. So, you know, Gavin, there's a lot to be said for conditioning as children and the programming that children, you know, what, what, how children are programmed based on their experience of parents and life. And so unfortunately my children from that relationship didn't have very good programming because uh, myself and my wife, their mother, um, were walking around unaware and unconscious of what we were doing and the effect that we were having on our children. And so, you know, my, my, child, my two children from that relationship, I don't have a relationship with them at the moment. So they've chosen not to have a relationship with me right now. And that's been quite a rocky road since the divorce because, you know, one of the fundamental reasons why that is the case now is because of a couple of things. Now, I'll take, I'll put my hand on my heart and take responsibility for the fact that, you know, in the early days, I did not behave well as I did not behave well, right? So, so much pressure and so much pressure on a man during that period of time and that phase in his life and in mine as well. And I did not conduct myself well, right? So, um, and neither did my ex-wife. And so, you know, there was a lot of conditioning of children, a lot of programming of the children there to, you know, in some ways turning the children against me and rightly so in some respects because I wasn't the best quality father at the time. And so based on that in the early days, um, the relationship that I had with my children as they became teenagers was sporadic and it was interrupted a lot of the time. And so there was never long periods of time where we were seeing each other. There might've been a few months and then we wouldn't see each other for a few months after that. And then I might see them for a few weeks and then a few months would go by and I wouldn't see them again. And there were a lot of factors involved in that. There was me, my ex-wife, um, family court, all sorts of different things played a part in all of that. So no finger pointing, but that was the deal. That was the situation. And so when you can't have a consistent meaningful relationship with your children it's very difficult for them to see you in any other light than what they have been told of you and the early experiences that they've been had that they've had and so as they got older into later teenage years we started having relation a relationship again but it was never it was already fractured and so it was always very strained and difficult and so i think you know as i became i guess I don't want to use the word popular, but as my, as forging Excalibur became more popular and I started doing more of what I was doing and having discussions like this, it challenged everybody. These discussions challenged my children, challenged my ex-wife, um, you know, because I was sharing my experience, which involved them. And I try not to talk too much about all of them because they're not here to speak for themselves. So I just speak about my experience, but who I've become and what I've created in the world um, is difficult for those sometimes around me. And it's difficult to rationalize who I used to be compared to who they experienced me as now, because there's such a wide, there's such a wide gap between who I used to be and who I am now that in a young, in a young person's mind, it's like, there's such cognitive dissonance that happens. Like my, like I, I thought he was like this, but he's acting like that. And I don't know how to rationalize that in my brain. And because our brains don't um, fully develop until we're 25, you know, my daughter who's 20 and my son who's 24, they're not there. And so, and so, you know, maybe one day they'll decide to have contact with me again, but for now they've chosen not to. Okay. So <clears throat> have you been able to forgive yourself or is that still a process? Always a process, my friend. Mm -hmm. It's always a process. When I, when I, um, when I think about their struggle now, and this is just me being vulnerable about this, right? When I, when I see that, and I know they struggle with stuff in just generally in life, I can't help but, you know, there's always that little element of guilt there. It's like, I was partly responsible for that. I'm partly responsible for that trauma that they experienced for the inability to emotionally regulate for the unwillingness to have open, honest dialogue with people. Um, they're the inability to be able to understand themselves on a deeper, in a deeper way. So I carry that guilt around with me all the time. And it's a daily process of forgiveness because, you know, you have children, um, you know, imagine if they grew up and you knew that you had caused them some kind of trauma and they suffered for it. Like you ca I carry that with me all the time. 
all mm. the time. Yeah, that's difficult, man. I feel for you. And it's, you know, there's just, you know, I've been through that process myself. Like I had a, had a baby, had my daughter when I was only 26 and, you know, I hadn't dealt with my shit uh, before that happened. And um, if anything, that was sort of the catalyst for my change because I had a, another responsibility, a, a massive commitment in my life and I had to become a better man to become a better dad for her. And of course I had all the trauma and the, you know, the difficulties of having an absent father in my life. So I didn't want to be absent for her and for my children. So, but yeah, there's still like understanding that, you know, over those years I wasn't in a good place and I can sort of identify some things within her that she's carried with her from my pain or from my time back then. And, I'm fortunate enough to still be, you know, present in her life and to be there for her on a daily basis to help her navigate those challenges. But I, I can't imagine what it's like to not be there and present and to help them navigate the the barriers that come along. And ultimately, and you know, that's why I asked about the forgiveness is because for me that was perhaps you know one of the uh, one of the final hurdles perhaps to to feel a lot more peaceful in myself. And it's still there, you know, it still comes up now and again. But to, to uh, reflect back and forgive that 20-year-old self, 25-year-old self and for the mistakes and fuck-ups that, that I created um, that have obviously had an impact, not just on her, but on other people in her life as well. And yeah, that's, it's, it's very difficult to be able to uh, have some self-compassion for yourself because understanding that back then, you know, in your 20s, you, you didn't have the knowledge that you have right now. You didn't have the self-awareness. You, uh, you yourself were in pain or traumatized from your experiences in the past. So it's a matter of perhaps perspective in that sense. And obviously Absolutely. If you are, if you're demonstrating a, a new way of being and, you know, demonstrating a life of strength and integrity, then perhaps your hope right now is that that's going to somewhat transition over to the, to the children and to your, to your son and to your daughter. And they'll, they'll identify yeah. that. Yeah. Well, look, one, one can hope, but um you know, I'm also a I'm also a strong believer in, you know, uh, you know things things are the way that they are for a reason, and and I and I and I believe that perhaps in this phase of their lives they need to go through some kind of healing for themselves, and maybe being around me is too painful as part of that healing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, the, you make certain assumptions, and some of these assumptions are also in aid of ourselves to try and help ourselves feel better about the situation as well. You know. And, and the beauty that you have and the opportunity that you have is that, you know, you can repair every single day because your daughter's in your life. Every single day you get the opportunity to be better for her, you know. Every single day you get to show her the, the version of who you are now and she gets to grow up with that version of you and she gets to witness your growth, you know. And so I, I do remember that when, because I've always carried this guilt with me because I've, I've, observe them even when I did have relationships with them I, I observed them in their struggle and I'm like wow that was me that was me my son's anger my fault you know my daughter's avoidance of um, confrontation and difficult discussions my fault you know my daughter's suppression of emotions my fault my son's um, aggression my fault and I'm like but then when they were in my life I could I was able to help a little bit I was able to somehow you know, even if they were discussions or little things that I could give them, little bits of wisdom that I can give them that helped them in some way, it was like in that moment, the guilt was a little bit less, mm-hmm. you know, the shame around how I used to behave was a little bit less. And so that helped me as well. But now that they're not in my life, I don't get those opportunities to be able to do that for them. And so the guilt doesn't get to be a little bit less. And, and maybe this is my repentance for my sins of the past. You know, perhaps. Yeah. So I'm, I don't want to come across as a victim of my circumstances because we all create our outcomes based on our behaviors, you know, and we and, and I always I've talked a lot about deferred responsibility. So I didn't take responsibility for myself back then. And responsibility always catch up, catches up with you. It doesn't matter how old you get. Responsibility finds you and it will hammer you into the ground and make you take responsibility for the thing that you avoided many years ago. And this is my time now to take responsibility for who I used to be. Right. So I accept that and I accept the burden and I carry that burden with me every day Mm -hmm. and it's deferred responsibility. So what I did back in the past is it's like, I'm not going to take responsibility for myself. 
I'm going to blame and find fault with the rest of the world and as many people as I can and basically throw that responsibility into the future for a future version of myself to deal with. And guess what? The future version of myself is here and dealing with it. So, you know, we have to take responsibility whether we choose to in the moment or defer the responsibility for later in life. Yeah. So eventually it catches up. Yeah. That's so, so I always say you're better off taking responsibility right now because you don't want the compounded responsibility later, which is still the responsibility and then the consequences of not taking responsibility in the moment. So what it's the same as if you were to, if you know that there was an underlying pain within and if you, you continue to suppress that or you continue to push it away, it, it, it just becomes stronger and eventually takes yeah. a real tight grip of you and pulls you under, you know, so it does catch up. Absolutely. You've got to take responsibility yeah, of course for it. it does. Yeah. Anything suppressed finds a way to express. And if we don't do it voluntarily, it, it forces itself to the surface and, and usually is then expressed in unhealthy ways. For sure, man. And that breeds its addictions and own difficulties. Yeah. Anger, violence, frustration, all sorts of things that don't serve us and our family and the people we love. So, yeah. yeah. Incredible, man. It's been, uh, yeah, been an incredible conversation and, um, one that I would love to continue for uh, another hour or two, uh, but I think I'll definitely have you back on again in uh, sometime in the future to, um, yeah, for further discussion. I think there's a lot of uh, insightful knowledge and and uh, inspiration from you. And yeah, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And thank you so much, Michael, uh, for your time. So um, well, Gavin. Where, where can the people find you? Uh, because your content is unreal. As I said, I came across you on TikTok brilliant and it's just so real and so authentic and it's just it just feels so directed towards the uh the consumer to, like as i said um when i came across your video on tiktok it was like that was speaking to me and so very uh very impactful so where can where can all the good people find your good self cool um forging excalibur just tiktok is forging excalibur instagram is forging excalibur Facebook is Forging Excalibur. <laughs> and then there's forgingexcalibur.com. And I also have a Facebook group for men if they're interested in joining and learning more. And it's called Forging Excalibur, the training ground. Yeah, sweet. I will add all those links below. And you do have your own podcast as well. So I'll, I'll link that below as well. Dude, funnily enough, that's also called Forging Excalibur. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's very strong, very strong name. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time, Michael. Thank you, Gavin. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Warrior Podcast. If this episode has added value to your life, please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives. For the time being, stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.